it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm one of your hosts, Justin. I'm the other one, James. And today we got chapter 46, Fall Dara. Um, this is, we had, we had a bit of a intense chapter the last, I guess more of the last chapter than the last couple chapters, but, um, they all were intense in their own ways, but this particular chapter is going to take a different turn now that, uh, the last chapter is over with, I guess, (laughs) but let's do a recap or a quick lightning fast recap round to catch people up in case they have forgotten. So at the end of the last chapter, we had uh, basically our little party was in um, the ways and we're traveling from Camelin, not my cat, from Camelin, um, to Faldara through the ways, which would cut pretty much like a month off of their time frame. I think it was either several weeks to several months, if I remember the correct uh, time frame. But um, it seems to be a very uh, big deal that they get here really, really fast. So they're trying to get to Faldara as fast as possible. And they had a couple issues because the routes were broken off or something in the bridges and whatnot so that they had to make their way around to other alternative ways to get to Faldara. And they finally are getting close to the Faldara exit when uh, they spot remnants of Trollocs and whatnot. But then on top of that, that not being bad enough, then Mashadar, or not Mashadar, Machin Shin, pardon my mixing, Machin Shin, the black yeah, I, what? Elders of Abominations mixed up. Well, no, Mashadar was from Shadar Logoth. Yeah, I know. Just getting, so, getting them mixed up. Yeah. Well, they both start with M. Like, all these things start with M. It's like, why do they sound so familiar? But Machin Shin, the Black Wind, basically shows up and was on the fringes of affecting the party um, as it was moving towards them. And they were freaking out, so they basically bum-rushed the last couple places. And it took them two or three days, if I remember correctly, to get through the ways, which is pretty stinking good, considering how long the trip is outside of the ways. The ways have some very valuable uh, aspects to them, but on the same time, they're also not very valuable because of Machin Shin. So, at the end of the last chapter... The party breaks out of the way gate and piles into uh, what would now be called Shinar, which we will cover in this chapter. Um, and they basically, Machin Shin can't leave the ways, so he shows up, hits the way gate, and then just backs off, being like, oh, I couldn't get him. So now we are outside of the way gate and. There's nothing here. It's just everything is looks like it's devastated, really. It's it's a very, very dead area. And I thought this phrase from 90 was interesting, that she says it's as dead as the blasted lands. I'm like, how would you know? 
You've never been there? I mean, maybe you heard no, it was dead it and they described it, and then they said, oh, that's it's equal to the Blasted Lands. But it just seems weird that Nynaeve would say this. Like, how can I understand people who had been to the Borderlands or who had been to the Blasted Lands or something? That makes sense. But when you have this, you know, young, early 20s, maybe even mid-20s girl saying, hey, I got you know comparisons to the blasted lands here I'm like you've never even been there <laughs> but it'd be funny even if it was like Perrin, matt or uh ran saying it because it wouldn't make sense coming out of them either because <laughs> it's like you don't know you may have heard something about it but you don't know and they really don't they're really really underestimating it um so everyone's kind of like okay well, we made it out this is great. Matt's like, well, where are we? And Len's like, well, we're in Shinar in the Borderlands. But something in his voice points out that it's almost like he's home. Almost home, anyway. So Lan has some severe familiarity with this area. So, you know, they're all trying to, like, cloak up because it's really, really cold. And they are in the Borderlands, and they are at the northern side of the continent, where you're basically getting, like, the wintry side of things, and then you hit, basically, the Blight, and the Blasted Lands, Sheogul, all that stuff, where it's just basically just dead. And, uh, Moraine's like, well, we're, we're getting close, um... We got the blight nearby. The eye of the world should be nearby, etc., etc., etc. So Moraine's like, "Well, we're, we're almost to Faldara, so let's head there." And you know, they could see some towers in the distance. Um. And there's a lot of things around here, like trees got split open and whatnot. And they find out that basically, uh, according to Lan, the Borderland winters get really, really cold. So cold that they can literally burst trees. Um, so if it gets so cold like that, you basically have fireworks going on outside. It was like pop, 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 pop. And trees are like cracking and snapping as if lightning hit them. And it's, it's a pretty ridiculous concept if you don't have that in your usual area all the time, which obviously in the two rivers, they would not have something that cold. Um, but land points out that there's a little bit more than usual. And the Emmon Fielders are like, What? Trees bursting during an ordinary winter. This one must have been a really bad winter if that was normal. Um, <laughs> and Matt, the teeth chattering, is like, "Who says winter passed?" Oh. <laughs> and Lan's like, "Well, this is a fine spring, sheepherder. A fine spring to be alive. But if you want it warm, well, it'll be warm in the blight." <laughs> and of course, Matt whispers to him or mutters to himself, "Blood and ashes. Blood, bloody ashes." <laughs> He's like, this is a horrible choice. Two extremes. Um, so they go by a bunch of farms and, you know, fields are empty and whatnot. You got, they look like it's basically like break time, but there's nobody there. Everything is basically abandoned. There's a chicken in one place. There's no dogs coming out to bark at them. Um, the Aes Sedai is taking note of the farmhouses they go by and is not particularly fond of what's going on with them. 
Um, but they start speeding up their pace a bit. And even through all this, it appears to at least Nynaeve that Moraine was not expecting this kind of, not really devastation, but not even a disaster necessarily, but this kind of uh, rough outlying like farms and like mi miniature communities and whatnot. Like she's not expecting it to be this bad. And even Egwene's like, I, I don't know where all these people went. Like, where do they go? And Matt's like, I mean, what are you talking about? It looks like they've been gone all winter from the look of, you know, the barn here. And Egwene, <laughs> Egwene and Eve kind of team up on Matt, making him apparently seem stupid. It's like, there's curtains in the windows. They look too light for winter curtains, even here. As cold as it is here, no one would have had those up more than a week or two, maybe less. And Nynaeve agrees with her. Now, this is funny because even Perrin's like, <laughs> curtains. But when they looked at him and they raised their eyebrows, he's like, oh, I agree. There's not enough rust on that scythe for more than a week in the open. He's like, you should have known that, Matt. And then Rand's looking over at Perrin like, how did you even see that? I can't even see the scythe well enough to know that there might be rust on it. So something might be happening to Perrin. Um, and Matt's like, I don't care what happened to the people. I just want it to be warm <laughs> as soon as possible. And Rand's like, but why did they go? I mean, the Blight's far off, or not far off, and where the Blight is, you got Faze and Trollocs. And the Blight's where we're going. And then I'll have you pick up this part, good sir. Alright. <clears throat> Sorry. raises a voice enough to be heard by those close to him. Nynaeve, maybe you and Egwene don't have you to go to the eye with us. The two women who looked at him as if he were speaking with gibberish, but with the blight so close, he had to make one last try. Maybe it's enough here for you to be close. Moraine didn't say you have to go, or you, loyal. You could stay at Fuldara, until we come back. Or you could do your stuff with Tarvalin. Maybe there'll be a merchant train, or I'll bet Moraine would even hire a coach. We will meet you in Tarvalin when it's all over. Taviran. Loyal sigh was a rumble like thunder on the horizon. You swirl lives around you, Randall Thor. You and your friends. Your fate chooses ours. The Ogier shrugged, and suddenly a broad grin split his face. Besides, it will be something to meet the Green Man. Brother Harmon always talks about his meeting with the Green Man. And so does my father, and most of the elders. So many? Perrin said. The stories say the Green Man is hard to find, and no one can find him twice. Not twice, no. Loyal agreed. But then, I have never met him, and neither have you. He doesn't seem to avoid Ogier quite the same way he does eat humans. He knows so much about trees, even the tree songs. Bran said, The point I was trying to make is... The wisdom cut him off. 
She says Egwene and I are a part of the pattern, too. All woven in it with you three. If she is to be believed, there's something about you the way that a piece of the pattern is woven that might stop the Dark One. And I'm afraid I do believe her. Too much has happened not to. But if Egwene and I go away, what might we change about the pattern? I was only trying to... Egwene, again, Nynaeve interrupted him interrupted sharply. I know what you were trying to do. She looked at him until he shifted uneasily in the saddle. Then her face softened. I know what you were trying to do, Rand. I have a little liking for any Aes and this one least of all, I think. I have here less here for going into the blight, but least of all is here the liking I have here for the father of lies. If you boys, you men, can do what he has to be done, when you'd rather do almost anything else. Why do you think I will do less? Or Egwene? She did not appear to expect an answer. Gathering her reins, she frowned toward the Aes Sedai up ahead. I wonder if we're going to reach here this year for Dara place soon. Or does she mean us here to be spent the night out in this? So, there's a Sorry, lot kind of packed up in this. Um... Rand showing that he wants his friends to be unharmed. So he's like, hey, Loyal, you and Egwene and Nynaeve can, you know, stick around here. And then when we come back, or like, maybe they'll send you to Tarvalin. And then when you guys get there, when we're done here, we'll come join you. Right. This is like, cares about his friends. Seems to be innocent enough. Um, and Loyal's like, well, you're Taviran, so... Because you're Taviran, you kind of choose our fates for us. But I'd like to meet the Green Man. That'd be a really cool person to meet. Um, and for an Ogier, that makes sense. <laughs> and we learn about the Green Man, which we have mentioned in the past. But um, basically, the Green Man is like the caretaker of the Eye of the World. And essentially... He's a person that you can only meet once, so the stories claim. So, if you've met him, you can't meet him a second time, as the stories say. But, he knows things about trees, the tree songs, and whatnot. And it's just like, it makes you wonder, it's like, well, maybe, just maybe, he would know, you know, the songs about the trees being revived, or this, or that, or the other, like... There's a lot of things that would be kind of interesting to see what he could do. But Rand tries to, like, hold to his point, even though he's technically directing it at Loyal, because he's responding to what Loyal said. Nynaeve cuts in and points out that her and Egwene are part of the pattern. I'm like, well, technically everybody's part of the pattern, so I, that's not really a valid argument. But, um... They're a bit closer to the current relevant part of the pattern. But even though she agrees that, you know, this might be the way to stop the Dark One, you know, they, they, she doesn't want to believe, but she has to believe because too much has happened otherwise. It's like, well, if we go away, what might change? And it's like, well, if you stay, what might change? Like... <laughs> It's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because them sticking around may do nothing. 
and them leaving may do nothing, but it also could be better or worse in both sides. Um, and then Rand again tries to respond to her, and she interrupts him. And she's like, I know what you're trying to do. But then she kind of softens a little bit, and then she points out, like, you know, I'm not a big fan of Aes Sedai. I like this one probably the least of all Aes Sedai. I'm like, yeah, because you've met so many. <laughs> and, um, but I, I don't have a liking for the Father of Lies, and I don't want you guys going in the blight. But if you boys, sorry, men, so right there we get a little upgrade, which Matt does mention, um, which is funny. And it's like, okay, if if you guys have to do what has to be done, why did you think we will do less? And she doesn't expect an answer and whatnot, and the rest of it doesn't really matter too much. But um, it's like, what do you expect to do? It's like, okay, what do you expect Matt, Perrin, and Rand to do? Like, they don't even know what to expect because they're not sure what's going on. They just know that they're the target, and they're trying to separate people who are not the target from the target. It's a reasonable assumption to say that they don't want their friends to get hurt. That simple. It's, it's super, super, super simple. Nothing else has to be looked into that and be like, Oh, I see something else. It's just plain and simple. I don't want my friend loyal to get hurt. I don't want my friend naive to get hurt. I don't want my friend Egwene to get hurt. Plain and simple, whatever. Um, I mean, obviously they don't, they're not going into the blight because they want to, they're going cause they have to, where Egwene, Nynaeve, and Loyal technically don't have to. They want to. Well, Loyal wants to because he wants to see the green man. Egwene and Nynaeve want to because they think that will affect something. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But it's not one of those things where, like, they're just going to walk up and all of a sudden, oh, all the bad guys will disobey. Like, oh, Loyal, Nynaeve, and Egwene are here. Let's run away. It's, it's not going to run that way. So Matt was like, wow, it's like just yesterday she was saying we shouldn't be off our leading strings, but now we're men. And Egwene has this little part where it's part antagonistic and part defensive. So it's basically her saying like, you know, you shouldn't be off your aprons, your mother's apron springs, springs, strings, blah. And Rand didn't think that she was being serious about it, but she moves Bella up to him. And lowers her voice so nobody else could hear, even though Matt tried. And she's like, I only danced with Aram. And she's like saying it really softly, not trying to look at him. He's like, you wouldn't hold it against me dancing with somebody I'll never see again, would you? <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, okay, that, that has a lot of connotations involved. For one, she feels the need to be defensive because she feels guilty about something. It's like, you guys aren't even a thing. So, despite the fact yeah, that you don't want to be... Yeah, literally a couple lines later on, Rand is reminded of uh, what Min said to him. Yeah, which is, she's so not we'll get, for we'll you, nor you for her, at least not in the way you both want. And he's he's wondering why she brings this up, but it's, it's just funny pointing out that she's like, I only danced with him. It's like, well... Why are you bringing this up? Why why do you feel the need to defend yourself unless you felt guilty about it? But here's the thing. Not once does he feel guilty about Elsie. 
uh, well, else. Man, I, I, I think else, it is Elsie. just else. I, I can't tell because the E could be silent or it could be whatever, but else, yeah. else. I need, I need to actually like go back and re-listen to the audiobook. But then again, yeah. you know, that, that's that's quite a lot of effort for a character that will probably never ever get referenced ever again. So, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, but she's like, you know, you wouldn't hold it against me dancing with somebody I'll never see again with you. I was like, okay, she could have wrote up to Perrin, she could have wrote up to Matt and gotten about as much in terms of it mattering because it'd be like if she danced with Will Alcine back on Bell Time. It's not that big of a deal because she's not with anyone. She, like, she doesn't belong to Rand. Rand doesn't belong to her. Like, they're not a thing. If they were a thing, it would probably implicate a little bit more, more specifically about her character in terms of she's not willing to stick with him. She was just like whoever's around when she needs comforting. That's what she would go with. That's not a good look. Um, and if Rand had done the same thing, it wouldn't look good for him too, but he didn't go. He just apparently draws people or he gets stuck in a situation where he doesn't want to be in like Elaine. He didn't want to be in the situation with Elaine. He tried to get away from everything. And he was flabbergasted at the end when Elaine's like, I thought you looked handsome, blah, 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 blah. You know, like the three women that are associated with Rand, he did not actively try to participate in any of them. He was always confused or nervous or wanted to be out of the, out of sight, out of mind with else. So, um, it, it's, it's a very weird thing, but they come from different perspectives and different outcomes. So I think if they were in opposite shoes, it would, I would feel the same way, but they're not, even though it's not, it's more of a humorous thing. Just, you know, she's giving him a hard time, even though she's the one who did the allegedly bad thing, even though she didn't do anything bad because she didn't do anything because she's not with him. So, and then again, the next paragraph is him remembering again what Min said about, you know, she's not for you, nor you for her, at least not in the way you both want. So they both want to be with each other, but that's not how it's going to be, allegedly, according to Min. And then they show up on the outskirts of the town of Faldara, and it's not nearly as big as Camlin, but the wall's about as high as Camlin's. And it's a full mile outside that wall in every direction. The ground was clear of anything taller than grass. And that was cut low. So basically, if anybody's trying to show up with siege engines, they're going to see all the siege engines. <laughs> um, so basically, you know, you get this description where Camlin was beautiful. This place is practical. Um, but then we see the Black Hawk of Shinar flying amongst the walls. So Lan tosses his cloak back, or his, his cloak hood back, um, and tells everybody else to do that. Like, come on, you know, pull yours back too. And Moraine's already done it. And Lan explains that in Shinar, it's law that, well, really in all borderlands, no one may hide his face inside of a town's walls. And Matt thought this was like, oh, because they're all good, that good looking. And he's like, well, so a merge can't, you know, be around without his face being exposed. And 
you know, Rand's... I, I, I have to say, that is a very Matt line. <laughs> Just... it, it is a very Matt line, which is why I love it. Yeah, I love that. Matt is one of my favorite characters. Um, but Rand's grin sliding off and Matt pulling off his <laughs> was like, like a classic. Like, it's a very serious thing. Like, a half-man can't hide with his face exposed with a flat voice. But the whole fact that they thought it was funny, and now it's not funny, makes it funny for us, the reader. <laughs> But, uh, good little humor there. So they go over and pull up to the gates and, you know, they're big, dark iron gates. Got a dozen armored men standing guard in a yellow surcoat uh, bearing the Black Hawk. Um, they got long swords on their backs. They got broadswords, mace, and axe hung at every single one of their waists. Um, their horses are tethered, but almost look grotesque because of the steel bardings that are completely covering their chests, necks, and heads. Um, and they got lances in the stirrup. They're ready to ride. Basically, like, jump in and go. Like, so they're built for war at all times. Um, the guards don't stop Lan or Moraine or anybody else in the party, but they, you know, cry out and like, hey, how's it going? And we get this term showed up called Daishan and somebody cries that while shaking a steel gauntleted fist you know hey Daishan Daishan and somebody shouts glory to the builders and Kisarai T. Wansho to Loyal and he's like whoa wow what's going up and he waves at the guards and everything which I just I'm just imagining this ogier like brightening and the waving comically almost <laughs> at these guards so, uh, one guy runs up next to Lan's horse, you know, seemingly not being bothered by the amount of armor he's wearing. He's like, will the golden crane fly again, Daishan? So, it appears that Lan is referred to as Daishan. And we also get this thing called the golden crane. Now, keep in mind their sigil here is the black hawk so not quite the same thing so lands like peace ragan and the man falls away and he returns to the guard but lands face becomes pretty grim um they they head to the town and a lot of this is just uh you know it's it's a lot of descriptions and what the people call out the golden crane welcome Daishan yada 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 so I'll leave that to you guys to read to get your gorgeous descriptions out of this because it it's a pretty cool thing but they basically show up at the local stable and liveried grooms show up eager and smiling and they're also black and gold so you can tell it's the lords <laughs> there's there's a lord that rules here um they untie their belongings from the saddle the grooms take them you know and a guy who's in plate and mail and leather bows in a formal manner um he's wearing a bright yellow cloak edged in red over his armor um and then he's got the black hawk on his breast and a yellow surcoat bearing a gray owl He's covered in advertisements, is what we're saying. Uh, yeah. So, he's got no helmet, 
and was bareheaded except for his hair that had been shaved except for the top knot tied with a leather cord. Now, we did a little research before this, and during the Edo period in Japan, top knot was very, very commonly used and very popular um, as a hairstyle, mostly because samurai would wear it to hold their helmets into place. And I don't know why that particular hairstyle, when they could have just made the helmet, you know, fit to the head, but I don't know. Um, but during the Edo period, that was when it was a very, very popular thing. So a top knot is a different look, and you might have to look it up to get a picture of it, but it's essentially, it looks like a, uh, it's not a man bun, it's like a reverse man bun, if you will. So it kind of like comes out of the back of the head and then goes up towards the top of your head in kind of like a slender uh, roll, if you will. I don't, I don't know how they say Yeah, it. I think that's just a, it's, maybe just Google, Google yeah. image it. Just, just look it up, but it's, it's an interesting concept. And it's a very odd thing, but we're getting some kind of Japanese tendencies appears from this, which Robert Jordan used a lot of mixture to build cultures, but sometimes one pulls out ahead amongst the others. So it feels more Japanese than the other types that were used. Um, but you can always see what you thought it might have been from reading it. And just like all the descriptions mean like, oh, that this strikes me as more of X. Um, their armor style is more European than it is going to be, obviously, you know, Japanese because of the like chain leather or the chain mail and leather combinations and stuff, which is Irish. I believe chain mail was made in Ireland, if I remember correctly. Um, so uh -huh. it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. But the guy shows up and he's like, you know, greetings, Moraine Aes Sedai. It's good to see you, Daishan. Um, extremely good. <laughs> and he looks at uh, Loyal and bows to him. He says, Glory to the Builders. Kisarai T1 show. And uh, <laughs> Loyal's like, Oh, I'm. I'm... He, he gives a very formal reply, which is, I am unworthy and the work small. Singu ma choba. And um, the man refers to Loyal as, you know, Builder. He's like, You honor us, Builder. Kisarai T1 show. And he looks back at Lan and is like, hey, Lord Algamar has uh, been sent word about you, Daishan. And we sent word as soon as you were coming. He's waiting for you. Follow me, please. So they head into this fortress and it's very... It's drafty. There's some, you know, cool tapestries and whatnot, but it also seems kind of bare. Um, and... He seems to think that Dai, Dai Shen, a.k.a. Lan, uh, had heard of the call. And Lan doesn't really say anything. <laughs> just kind of like, okay. And this guy's like, will you raise the Golden Crane banner once more? Um, and Lan's like, well, are things really that bad around here? Because it, it seems really bad. Um, and Rand's thinking like, as my ears twitching, like loyals, you know, like making it obvious that he's trying to listen in, even though Lan is asking quietly. And this guy who's leading them is like, well, things are never as bad as they appear. Um, it's a bit worse this year, but the raids continued through winter, even the hardest part of it, but it was no worse anywhere else. Um, they show up at night. They get expected in the spring. If you can call this spring. 
and scouts come back from the blight saying more Trolloc camps more more and more camps um, but we'll meet him at Tarwin's Gap and send him back as we always have <clears throat> Lan agrees but doesn't sound certain um, and this guy Ingtar uh, his grin kind of slips but shows back uh, pretty quickly and he shows them to Lord Agomar's study and then said I have things to do and leaves and then we get a more well not more we get a lot more uh, descriptions of this area so again feel free to read it at your leisure we don't want to cover it because it'll take up all the time but there's a lot yeah, of really this cool is stuff. supposedly this is supposedly an analytical thing on audiobook, so Yeah. Um as much as I wish it was an analytical audiobook. <laughs> but I would literally wait, say this whole yet. thing word for word if I had permission to do so. Yeah, so, wait, we're not quite there yet, so you know, I doubt they will ever give me that permission, but I would love to. Then we'll take it. <laughs> well, take it with our own hands. Um but there's a lot of stuff in here that gives you kind of a bit of the culture. So broadswords, breastplates, steel gauntlets, halberds, face guards, a lot of European style armor, even though the hairstyle is more Japanese style and a lot of other things like that. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but Agomar eventually shows up at the entrance and comes to go to the table and it's got maps and stuff all over it. Um, he seems a little bit more peaceful, but he's still kind of wearing. He's wearing himself like he's are he's in like the the best armor ever. Um, his head is shaved, but he's got a top knot, and that's pure white. Um, he has a similarly hard like face, like Lan, um, and the only thing he's got on his face that would be considered like wrinkles or whatnot are at the corner of his eyes, which are called crow's feet. Um, for anyone who's interested, <laughs> little random notes, crow's feet. Um, and at this point, his eyes, like brown stone, bore a smile. And he says this phrase, peace, but it is good to see you, Daishan. Um, your presence warms me, I die, etc. Like, that's not the whole thing, but that's what is necessary. But the term peace is not the same term of like... You know, we're suing for peace. It's it's a respected and respected, or not respected, a respectable way to talk to somebody in the borderlands because you're wishing them peace. Um, or the other phrase which we haven't gotten to yet is peace favor your sword. Um, basically meaning um, be ready for war, but enjoy peace <laughs> is a paraphrased way to explain it. Um, and this is the really difficult part because I have to, I had to write this down just so I can pronounce it correctly because it's a lot of words in the old tongue really quickly. So, Ninte Kalichniya no Domoshita Agomar Daishan is what Moraine replies formally, but there's a, the way she says it in the tone is like we're old friends, and he's like your your welcome warms me, Lord Agomar. So he responds with an equally difficult <laughs> phrase. Kodame kalichni ya gane aisadai hei. 
Ugh, it's, it's very difficult to say it because my mouth doesn't move that way. But, or my tongue. Um, but he's like, here's a welcome for always for Aes Sedai. And he's like, looks over at Loyal and is like, hey, you're pretty far from the steadying, Ogier, but you honor Faldara. Always glory to the builders. Kisarai, T, Wansho, hey, yay. And Loyal's like, bowing and be like, oh, you make, you're giving me honor. Um, but they're, they're like, eh. He's, he's trying to say something, but he can't really say anything at this moment. Um, some servants in black and gold show up quietly, drop a whole bunch of stuff in here. Um, Lord Agamar is like, hey, get some rooms ready and the baths. He's like, wow, it's been a long trip from Tarvalin. You must be exhausted. <laughs> He's like, eh, it's actually short, said Lan. He's like, but just more tiring than the usual long way. <laughs> and he's like, oh, what? Um, <laughs> and this, be, to me, is just like, yeah, this is the perfect time to mention the way gate that's wide open. <laughs> but, hey, we'll save that for later. Um, hey, you're, you're going to find this hilarious. But <laughs> <laughs> So, um, they're like, all right, well, a few days rest will put you guys, you know, going great. And Moraine's like, well, I'm only asking you for one night shelter and then for ourselves and our horses. And then if you can give us some fresh supplies, if you have them, um, we got to leave early. Oh, unfortunately. And I was like, well, I thought we were, you know, well, I don't have a reason to ask you. All right. I don't have a reason. I don't have the right to ask you, but you'd be worth more than a thousand lances in Tarwin's Gap. And you, Daishan, a thousand men will come when they hear the golden crane flies once more. Now, history lesson. So the Golden Crane, as we're about to find out, is a standard for another borderland country. And Tarwin's Gap is a spot, um, if you want to reference your uh, map, good sir. Um, Let me just bring that up. So basically, Shinar borders this other country called Malkier and the people of Malkier are Malkieri um, and Malkier's uh, standard is the Golden Crane now Malkier is north of Shinar and is closer to the Blight at least it was a while back Tarwin's Gap kind of comes from the east. It's in the very top corner. If you see the big red Faldara button, or red little thing on the map I showed you. Yeah. So Faldara, and to the right of that, you see Tarwin's Gap kind of to the east up a little bit. So mm -hmm. it's a gap in which it's an obvious. It's it's almost like the Black Gate, if you will, from Lord of the Rings, where it's 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 got a notorious entry, but it's a little bit narrower, if I remember correctly. And you know, a couple thousand guys could hold off. It, it, it's basically 300. <laughs> it's a, a smaller force can hold off a much, much larger force in that little gap. And it is something that is historically reused over and over again by Trollocs trying to enter into the borderlands. Because if they can break through Tarwin's Gap, they can pour all over the borderlands with massive armies. It's much easier access, I guess is the easiest way to say it. 
for a larger yeah. army. You can get small groups and small bands over uh, through other areas of the Blight, but it's the easiest part um, is going to be uh, in that area um, due to where Sheol Ghoul is and everything. There's also several settings up on the Blight, but those aren't going to be visited anytime soon. <laughs> Put it that way. So, um, yeah, that was the reference point that was more or less important. So here, Lan responds. The seven towers are broken, and Malkier is dead. The few of her people left, scattered across the face of the earth. I am a warder, Aglomar, sworn to the flame of Tarvalin, and I am bound into the blight. He says this harshly because everyone is like, are you going to fly the golden crane? Are you going to fly the golden crane? You're like, wow, land must be important. And Agomar's like, of course, die shut land. <laughs> um, but maybe a few days or a few weeks will not be much, like make no difference. You, you're needed here. And Moraine's kind of like, well, Ingtar seems to believe you guys are going to beat them back as normally without any other issues. <laughs> I said, he's like, I said, I, if Ingtar had to ride it alone to Tarwin's Gap, he would ride the whole way, proclaiming that the Trollocs would be turned back once more. He's almost proud enough to believe he would do, or he could do it alone. But Lan kind of responds to Agamar's little blurb about Ingtar going, you know, he's not as confident as you might think he is. How bad is it? And then this is my part. <clears throat> Agomar hesitated, pulling a map from the tangle on the table. He stared unseeing at the map for a moment, then tossed it back. When we ride to the gap, he said quietly, the people will be sent to Falmoran. Perhaps the capital can hold. Peace. It must. Something must hold. That bad, Lan said. And Agamar nodded wearily. Rand exchanged worried looks with Matt and Perrin. It was easy to believe that the Trollocs gathering in the Blight were after him, after them. Agamar went on grimly. Kandor, Arafel, Saldea. The Trollocs raided them all straight through the winter. Nothing like that has happened since the Trolloc Wars. The raids have never been so fierce or so large, or pressed home so hard. Every king and council is sure a great thrust is coming out of the Blight, and every one of the Borderlands believes it is coming at them. None of their scouts and none of the warders report Trolloc massing above their borders, as we have here. But they believe, and each is afraid to send fighting men elsewhere. People whisper that the world is ending, the Dark One is loose again. Shinar will ride to Tarwin's Gap alone, and we will be outnumbered at least ten to one. At least. It may be the last ingathering of the lances. Lan. No. Daishan. For you are a, a diademed battle lord of Malkir. Whatever you say, Daishan, the Golden Crane banner in the van would put heart into men who know they are riding north to die. The word will spread like wildfire, 
and though their kings have told them to hold where they are, lances will come from Arafel and Candor, and even from Saldea. Though they cannot come in time to stand with us in the gap, they may save Shinar. Ooh, his voice is hard to do. <laughs> yeah, although so surprisingly, it went with the same voice I imagined that he would have, so... That's the voice I imagined he had. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of, kind of rough, but a bit older. Um, very stoic, very solid. So, what it looks like is Shinar is in a bit of a pinch. <laughs> yeah. So we hear about these other things: Candor, Arafel, and Saldea. Now, if you want to also reference that map again, um, these are the four borderlands that border the blight <laughs> thus borderlands um shinar is arguably one of the smallest of the borderlands arafel could be considered also one of the smallest depending on how far north you go um candor is pretty small saldea being the biggest which means that there's larger areas for slipping through if you will um, depending on how the mountains are and everything. Because some mountains can be a block for Trollocs, so they're not going to be able to get through those areas, so they have to get funneled other ways. But they have a lot more territory to worry about. Um, it's amazing how many studying are around in this place. But, um, Arafel's the closest, so they could respond the quickest, which... You'd think that, if anything, you'd have a shift from Saldea to Kandor, and then have Kandor shift to Arafel, and have Arafel shift to Shinar, and be able to hold. But it sounds like, from the perspective of the military genius, allegedly, that the Shadow has, they're planning it out very well to prevent the Borderlands from backing each other up. So, for example, if if the Trollocs are like, we're going to go through Tarwin's Gap and pour all over them, like, they're not going to know what hit them. This could be argued as true. However, if you have a large force blockading them, they will take heavy, heavy losses, if not get completely thrown back entirely um, at the Gap if everyone shows up. So what they do is they send over raids and consistently, consistently, consistently hit, 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 hit in a way that the Borderland nations do not know where it's coming from. Even if the information says, yeah, they're all over Shinar, uh, north of Shinar, which is south of Sheogul, it's like, oh yeah, they're all right there, but that doesn't mean they couldn't come from other places. So they're like, well, I can't send my guys from like Saldea all the way to Shinar, which for one, it's a long trip. Two, like, I mean, if you're looking at this map... Going from, you know, Maradon, which is the capital of Saldea, that's almost twice the distance of going from Tarvalin to Faldara. Like, that's a long trip. It's almost equal to going from Camelin to Faldara. It's a long way. So it would take weeks, if not months, to get from one side of the borderlands to the other side. And the larger the party you have, the slower it's going to move. Um, if you got Candor, you know, Candor at Chachin, the capital of Candor, it's about equal to Tarvalin, although Tarvalin's probably a smidgen closer. Um, 
And then Arafel will beat everyone there because Shoal Arbella is pretty stinking close. Like, it's not that far. It might be a couple days, if a week, away. But with how everything is set up, it's like, it's kind of, it's, it's a big deal because with the Trollocs raiding heavily, it shows that each of the kingdoms have to look out for their own. If it was just, you know, no raids, no one's coming over, there's no one spotted by the scouts, blah, 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 blah. They could just send men to Tarwin's Gap and help out there and throw the Trollocs back. But whoever's commanding the Trolloc army is like, we're going to do this in a way to basically segregate the borderlands. So the borderlands are not going to stand together. They're going to stand separately. And in this way, this tactic is probably a sure way to break Shinar and have Shinar become a new Malkier. Now, Malkier will have more history on that later, so I'm not going to get too big into it. But currently... What is Malkier is in the Blight. Like, it was overtaken many, 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 many years ago. Um, but it, as a civilization, got wiped out, essentially. Um, so, there were five Borderland nations. Now there are four. Um, so, we're learning about, you know, Daishan. Daishan is... A diademed battle lord. That's the easiest connection you can really make. Um, he is a lord of Malkier. So we're learning something about land, which is kind of like, mm, this is kind of a big deal, you know? Um, so it's, it's a pretty grim situation for Shinar. The military tactics being used are very valid against the Borderlands. Um, and they're trying to figure out, like, how are we going to survive this? Like, if if we fall, we lose Faldara. The Blight will probably extend further into Shinar. And if all those trucks come pouring through, maybe they'll hold. Um, I believe it's Falmorin. Yeah, Falmorin's the capital. So they may be able to hold at Falmorin until someone could, you know, get there. But if there's this many, they could probably break through the gates pretty quick. Like, especially if they send a horde of Merdral in there to open the gates. It's probably doable. But, um... Not in time for people to probably show up and help push them back. And even if they do push them back, there's no guarantee that they could retake Faldara. Let alone push them back through the gap. Like... It, it's it's like going through a narrow area, like a narrow corridor, and branching out into a giant plains. You can't just funnel things back the way they came unless the Trollocs themselves would flee through that because that's the place they know. Which, that might be the case, but we don't know. Because, obviously, it hasn't happened yet. Um, so, lands like... You can tell, you know... He's taking it badly. Land literally crumples a silver goblet in his grip. <laughs> like, he's upset. But another servant runs up, takes the rune cup, and puts a fresh one in his hand. I'm just like, oh, so this one can get broken too. 
that that scene was very comical in my mind. He just like, well, just, it's oh, no, sorry. I, it, it's very emotional. Like, well, can, I mean, it, it, I, you can see like that. I mean, it's funny that he crumpled it. It's, it's all, funny that they put yeah. it back a new one back in his hand so he can crumple that one too. But it's, it's all right. It sort of rides the line. I was like, but, if they ever, if they do something sure. in the TV series that's equal to like Game of Thrones season eight, the, that atrocious nonsense. If they ever do something like leaving that that coffee cup on the table, which is like a legendary meme at this point. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, in Game of Thrones, yeah, one of the that, episodes. Yeah, in Game of Thrones, you can look this up. In Game of Thrones, they put a uh, they had a coffee cup on a table that's in scene, like a Starbucks coffee cup. It's white with a little brown holder around it and everything with a black cap and all that jazz. And it's just sitting there on the table. And for whatever reason, the crew did not think it was worth their time or effort to take it off before they started shooting. So they just shot it and it's in the actual episode. So okay, I'm like, I have to look up after this. Then. <laughs> if, if they do that for this, I would totally want them to like have him holding a silver styrofoam cup and just have him crush it. <laughs> And then come put another silver styrofoam cup in his hand. Oh, that'd be so funny. Um, so if they're, if they're going to do it, at least do it for this part. This is the, the perfect golden opportunity to like make fun of Game of Thrones. Um, but, but that would be funny. So Lan's taking this pretty roughly and he's like, I can't, I can't. And he's, you know, you could tell he wants to, um, but he's like, I'm a warder, Agomar, and I ride into the blight, first light. And he looked over the basically the rest of the party. More specifically, Ran, Matt, Perrin, and Moraine, because that's his main objectives. And Agomar's like, well, Moraine, will you show up at least? We could ha That could make a big difference. And it's like, if the warder's going into the blight, where do you think the Aes Sedai's going? <laughs> like... And she's like, sorry, I, I would love to, but there's a battle to be fought, and it's not chance that the Trollocs gather above Shinar, but our battle, which is the, the true battle with the Dark One, will take place in the Blight at the Eye of the World. You have to fight your battle, we gotta fight ours. And, you know, Agomar, solid rock-like Agomar, sounds shaken. He's like, you cannot be saying he's loose. And Warren's like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't misunderstand. He's not yet. And if we win at the eye of the world, he probably will never, or hopefully he will never be. Um, and Agamar's like, well, can you even find the eye? If it's, I mean, if holding the dark one depends on that, we might as well be dead. Many have tried and failed. He's like, oh, I can find it. Hope is not yet lost. And he's like, this is where it gets a little complicated. So, basically, Agomar looks at her, and then he appears to be puzzled by Nynaeve and Egwene. Because it's a very different appearance than Moraine's silk dress. Although, obviously, all of them are stained with travel and, you know, not being washed or changed. <clears throat> not that they had time to change their clothes on their horses while they are riding through the ways. So it's not like there's a whole lot to really It's not Agamar's fault he doesn't think Nynaeve and Egwene are with or with Moraine 
but not Aes Sedai. Like, he questions, like, are they Aes Sedai? And he asks it in a doubtful fashion. And then Moraine shakes his head, or shakes her head, not his head. <laughs> Moraine walks over to Agamar and shakes his head. <laughs> um, but she's, he seems more confused. So Nynaeve and Egwene are confirmed as not Aes Sedai. And he looks over at the the fellas from Emmons Field, and he's like, Rand's got, you know, the red-wrapped sword, and he still has it wrapped in red. I don't know why he still has it wrapped in red, but he still does. Probably because he doesn't want people to see the herons. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's probably a thing that you wouldn't think to do after, uh, you know, after all the events that just transpired. Yeah, and he's like... You have a strange guard here with you, Aes Sedai. Only one fighting man. Then he looks at Perrin, which I'm surprised he didn't look at first. He's like, maybe two. <laughs> but both are barely more than lads. So he kind of dismisses Rand and Perrin. He outrightly dismisses Matt. <laughs> he doesn't even give Matt a chance. Um, but he dismisses um, these lads from Emmons Field completely because of their age and their appearance like they're not going to be fighters and he's like hey i'll send a hundred lances with you or let that's not gonna make a big difference on the gap um the gap being tarwin's gap and you're gonna need more than just one warder and three use and two women will not help unless they are aiel in disguise so algomar saying you know nine even Egwene aren't gonna make much of a difference like, unless they are Aiel in disguise, which, more on that in the future. And being that the Blight is worse than usual, you've only got three youths, which don't look hardened at all, and they look like they came from the south, and the south is soft compared to the Borderlands. So it's reasonable for him to understand, like, you know, this is kind of lame. Like, you've got Lan. That's basically your best fighting. Um, I did find it odd that he didn't even bring in loyal <laughs> but yeah um even loyal might be considered young but again men aren't privy necessarily to the information about how old or young ogier are they just see an ogier and say hey it's an ogier and that's that like loyal's technically older than agalmar <laughs> so um that's a funny instance if you will <clears throat> so One might take Agamar's statement as insensitive or whatnot when it's really not. It's it's very much based upon him wanting them to succeed and him wanting them to have what they need to succeed, but seeing what appears to be less than success. And it kind of stacks on to Rand saying, hey, loyal, not even Egwene, you guys can stay here. We're the ones who have to be risking it. You don't have to. So it almost stacks on this. Not necessarily that Agamar wants to keep them out of danger, but that Agamar wants them to be successful. And, you know, what you've got right now is not going to help that much in terms of a fight. But I can send you some, some lances, like 100, and that'll help you. But then Lance like, well, a hundred would be too many, but a thousand wouldn't be enough. <laughs> Wrap your mind around that. It makes sense. Eventually. Um, 
the larger the group we take into the blight, the more attention we will gather, and we got to reach it without fighting if possible. You know, the outcome is all but foretold when Trollocs force battle inside the blight. And, you know, Algamar's like, yeah, I know, but I'll send you ten men. And that'll give you a better chance of, you know, getting more Insidai and the other women to the green men than you will these fellows. And <clears throat> Rand realizes, like, he's assuming Nynaeve and Egwene with Moraine would be the one who fights the Dark One. Because it's natural, you know. The fighting the Dark One is going to include the one power one way or the other. And one power means women. And, you know, he has his hand, his thumbs are behind his sword belt. And, you know, he's like, I, I'm going to basically be worthless, is what he's thinking. But Moraine's like, nope, we're not going to take ten guys. And he, Agamar tries to kind of open his mouth and you know, bring in some more arguments for his case, but she moves on. It's like, hey, it's the nature of the eye and the nature of the green man. And then she asks, like, how many from Faldara have ever even found the green man and the eye? And Agamar's like, well, of all time, probably since the War of the Hundred Years, you could probably count them on the fingers of one hand. No more than one in five years from all the Borderlands together. And she's like, no one finds the eye of the world unless the green man wants them to find it. Need is the key and intention. I know where to go. I have been there before. And then everybody just like swivels <laughs> over to Moraine. And she doesn't seem to notice. She probably does, but she did not seem to notice. Um, it's like, but one among us seeking glory, seeking to add his name to those four, and we may never find it, though it, I take us straight to the spot I remember. And of course, Algomar's like, you have seen the green man? But if you already met him once, and Moraine points out that unlike the stories, need is the key, not how many times you've seen the green man. So like earlier we were talking about the stories where, you know, if you've never met the green man, you can find him. But if you ever met him, you can't meet him again. Well, she's saying need is more important than how many times you go see him. And she's like, I have a greater need than everyone else. No one has a greater, a greater need than mine. Um, than ours. And I have something that the other people looking for the eye and the green man don't have. And she doesn't really take her eyes from Agamar's face, but they're pretty sure, you know, it's like, I have a, a loyal. <laughs> they have a cave troll. I have an O'Gear. Uh, <laughs> it's essentially what it is. And loyal's like, eh, Taviran. And Agamar's like throwing hands, like, all right, it'll be as you want. Peace with the real battles to be at the eye of the world. I'm tempted to take the Blackhawk banner after you instead of the cap. <laughs> I could cut a path for you. And she's like, okay, we both know that would be a horrible idea, a complete, utter disaster for Tarwin's gap and at the eye. And then she's like, you know, we got to keep this split apart. You have your fight, we have ours. And he's like, peace, as you say. So he's, he doesn't like it, but he acknowledges it. 
Mm. So reaching this decision, he obviously disliked it. Um, he kind of like puts it out of his mind and he's like, Oh, come to the table, blah, blah, blah. But they talk about hawks, horses, and dogs, but don't ever mention Trollocs, Tarwin's Gapper out of the world. So more descriptions on the room and what's going on. It's something you obviously can read at your leisure. It's, it's very beautiful, wonderful descriptions. Um, the Emmons Fielders basically are trying to be like, hey, we want to talk about Emmons Field and the Two Rivers. And they're all like trying to say things specifically, but they want to be cautious about what they're saying, especially Matt. <laughs> Which, Matt being Matt is probably not a odds, but Nynaeve's been really, really quiet. Very unusual. Then Matt's like, hey, we have a song in the Two Rivers called Coming Home from Tarwin's Gap. And he kind of finished very, you know, not sure about it. So then he's like, maybe I'm, you know, bringing up something that might be a bit touchy. And Alcamorse is <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I was like, not surprised. I mean, pretty much every land in the world has sent men to hold back the blight over the years. And Rand, Matt, and Perrin kind of looked at each other, and Matt's like, Forming the word Manetherin. <laughs> really, really quietly with his voice. Like, he's not, he's not saying it, but he's, you know, framing it so they can read his lips and be like, it's Manetherin. <laughs> um, but uh, Agamar kind of like, you know, whispers to the servant and they kind of like pull it, cleaning everything up at the table and whatnot. And then they get some pipes for land loyal and Lord Agamar. And he's like, hey, two rivers to back. As they you know, stuff their pipes with it. It's like, hard to come by, but worth the cost. I'm like, that's got to be stupid expensive considering <laughs> yeah. like, how far it's come. Like, quite literally, the distance that that to back travels is longer than the distance they have traveled from the actual two rivers and ended up in Faldara. Because they took the ways and shortcutted it. So... It's a long, it's like, I'd imagine it's like got to be four or five, possibly even half a year to get all the way up there. Like, it's got to be a long time. Um, I got, I can't remember off the top of my head. And this is one of the things that really drives me nuts about this stuff is I can't remember the distance for like measurement, but it takes a long time. Like from them to get to Whitebridge to, to Caneland was, it feels like it was almost two weeks, but on a main road, you might move a little faster than if you were cutting across, like what Perrin and Egwene did. Um, but in the process, like it's it's a long way, like that's crazy because they're coming from literally the western side of the central part of the world, and the way that everything is done, it has to go basically southeast, then east, then north, and then further north. To get to where it needs to. It can't just like cut straight across through the Black Hills and end up at Faldara. It doesn't do that. There's a big swath of land that nobody controls because it's just a thing no longer. <laughs> it's very dangerous. Um, but it's it's amazing like how far it would have to travel. But it's got to be expensive. But being a lord, you could probably afford it. Um mm -hmm. So these three guys are sitting there, you know, just 
going puffing away and whatnot and loyal is asked by Algamar about if he's you know got the longing yet and he's because he seems troubled and he's like oh it's not really you know i was just hoping that there would be a grove here some remnant of mafal de Darinel. and Algamar's like kisarai t one show and he continues to give us like a history lesson about the trollic wars uh pretty much demolishing everything that happens and then people you know building on them but they're trying to duplicate the builder's work but it's built the builders aka the ogier did very good work and humanity could only poorly represent and poorly imitate what was there that is no longer there and he says a lot of really cool stuff like the harshness of the stone makes the flower more precious. Um, the, <laughs> we try not to dwell too much on what is gone. The strongest heart will break under that strain. It's not quite poetry, but almost as poetry. And then we get something very weird. Land says the rose petal floats on water. The kingfisher flashes above the pond. Life and beauty swirl in the midst of death. And Agamar's like, yep, that's basically symbolizing the whole of it to me. And they bow at each other. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, poetry? Out of land? Like, just <laughs> sheer, just... Their eyes... Yeah. I, you, you can see the end of the field of their eyes popping out of their heads right now. Yeah, I, I was as surprised as everyone else. Yeah. It's like, James' eyes popped out just as much as Rand's. Yeah. And he's like, man, land's like a freaking onion. And every time I think I knew something, there's another layer. <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, maybe I dwell too much on what we don't have anymore. But man, those groves are beautiful. It's like, well, to an ogier, that's, that's what they're going to consider beautiful to humanity. They're like, yeah, they're comforting, but they may be beautiful to an extent, but it wouldn't typically be the humanity viewpoint of what would be beautiful. Um, so, you know, they're talking or whatever. And then Ingtar shows up and he's like, well, you wanted to know if anything was out of the ordinary, regardless of how small it was. He's like, okay, what is it? He's like, well, little thing. This guy tried to enter the town. The stranger, not a guy necessarily, but the stranger tried to enter the town. Not Shinaran, but he sounds like a Lugarder. A Lugarder being, um, if you look on their map, you have uh, Mirandy south of like if you have if you find where white bridge is in andor you got white bridge and four kings go directly south you have lugard which is the capital of mirandy it's a very small nation um i mean it's technically about the same size as like ilion and tier so like land mass wise it's big or i should say it's bigger but in terms of population wise it's a bit smaller um He's like, well, this guy's got a, he's got an accent of a Lugarder. So the way I think about it, like Mirandy's kind of like Ireland, <laughs> where it's, it's got a bunch of different accents of like, oh, you're from this side of Ireland, therefore you have this accent, blah 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 blah. <clears throat> um, so it's also ironically a very broken up country to where everyone's trying to become the king, kind of thing, <laughs> and they're all like trying to like flock to a particular banner and make that banner the big one but everybody wants to be the king kind of thing it's 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 a funny little situation but we'll get to that eventually um 
this guy, you know, try to enter the south gate, and when the south gates try to question him, he runs away. He was seen entering the forest, but only a little bit later, he was found scaling the wall. And Agamar's like, scaling the wall is a small thing? Jeez. <laughs> the Tower Watch is so negligent that a man can reach the walls unseen, and you call it a small thing? And Ingtar's like, he's a madman. But he has kind of this touch of awe in his voice. And he's like, the light shields madmen. Perhaps the light cloaked the Tower Watch's eyes and allowed him to reach the walls. Surely one poor madman can do no harm. Now, this is one of those weird situations that it's a cultural thing. And they don't understand, or we, from the outside perspective, and the Emin Fielders and people not familiar with Shinar and culture, would be like, what are you talking about? The light doesn't shield madmen. They're mad for crying out loud. It's like, no, it's their, in their viewpoint, if you're a madman, um, you're shielded by the light. And it's like, it's it's a different thing. So they're like, what are we, what are we supposed to do? Like, a madman can't do anything. And Agamar's like, well, bring him to the keep. Oh, he's already here? Okay, cool. Bring him to me right now. And Agamar, you know, turns and apologizes to Moraine. He's like, I got to see to this. Sorry. Um, maybe he is only a pitiful wretch with his mind blinded by the light. But, you know, two days ago, five of our own people were found in the night trying to saw through the hinges of the horse gate. Um, small, but enough to let the Trollocs in. And he's like, well, dark friends, I suppose. But I hate to think of any Shinaran being a dark friend. But they were torn to pieces by the people before the guards could even take them. <laughs> it's like, oh, to be fair, life is a bit harsher up here. And, no, you don't say. And I'm not not saying because of that incident. I'm talking because think of it like a military, like a full-fledged military society like, you know, the Spartans. Um, or, well, any any military thing at all where they have like a battalion. If you have lazy people in your battalion and they're, uh, you know, having watch duty or something at night and they're sleeping, you're going to get beat up for doing that because you just put the entire group in danger because you slacked in your duties. Not to mention you put yourself in danger because if somebody finds you and they're an enemy, they can kill you. You can't do anything because you're asleep. But... It's, it's one of those things where it's like it there's a legitimate reason people get torn to shreds by the people before the guards can get to them because these people are saying you almost got us killed because if that horse gate had been opened Trollocs could have come through and if Trollocs had come through Faldara could have fallen if not just at least lost a large portion of their population so it's a big deal and so that to give you some context, that's kind of a big deal. That's that's not a little thing. Um, so he's like, well, if Sharp, if he's like, we're never going to know if they were dark friends, but if they can be dark friends, I got to be very careful about outlanders. It's like, well, you got a whole bunch of them right now and you with you eating food. But they came with an Aes Sedai and the Lord of the Malkyrie, allegedly. Um. And he's like, well, if you want to withdraw, I'll have you show the rooms. And Moraine's like, well, dark friends know neither border nor blood. This is a valid thing you'll want to tuck away for later. Um, They're found in every land and are of none. I'm also interested. So the pattern is forming a web and the final shape is not set. 
but a lot of this stuff applies to us and things out of even small things out of the ordinary or something I'm wary of. So Agamar looks at Nynaeve and Egwene again. He's like, well, as, as you wish. So Ingtar shows up with two guards carrying long bills, which are like spears, but a little bit different. Um, and they're escorting this man who looks like a rag bag turned inside out. <laughs> I love that description. Um, and he's got grime all over his face, layered, mind you. And he's got scraggly uncut hair and he's got a beard. Um, he's hunched in the room with sunken eyes looking this way and that and whatnot. He's got this horrible smell. Um, and it, it comes before him. So he sounds like he's lived in the sewers, like a rat or something. And Rand's like looking at him really intently. And he's got like this whiny kind of voice. And he's like, you, you have no cause to be holding me. I'm only a poor destitute abandoned by the light and seeking a place like everybody else to shelter from the shadow. And Algamar's like, Borderlands are a pretty weird place to be seeking. And before he can finish, Matt cuts him off. He's like, it's the peddler. <laughs> and Perrin's like, yep, put on Fane. And Rand's like, it's the beggar. And he like, the, the sudden hatred that flares in Fane's eyes he like, whoa, and he kind of like backs up. Um, he's the man who was asking about us in Camelot. He has to be. And Algomar's like, well, it seems like this does involve you, Morian Sedai. And she's like, I greatly fear it does. <laughs> and Fane kind of like, I didn't want to. And he's got tears, like big fat tears coming down his cheeks and whatnot. He's like, he made me. Him and his burning eyes. And of course, Rand, Matt, and parent not really particularly fond of this obviously for notable reasons uh matt jumped to his dagger under his cloak from the dagger from shader logoth and fane continues like he made me his hound his hound to hunt and follow with never a bit of rest only his hound even after he threw me away and now moraine's like well yep this is really bad is there a place i can you know, interview him alone, but wash him first because I might have to touch him. <laughs> just imagine them taking him outside, pulling up a hose and just blasting him with water. <laughs> um, but Agamar's like, okay. And he speaks to Ingtar who bows and disappears at the door. <clears throat> and then I'll cover this part real quick. I will not be compelled. The voice was Fane's, but he was no longer crying, and an arrogant snap had replaced the whine. He stood upright, not crouching at all. Throwing back his head, he shouted at the ceiling, Never again! I will not! He faced Agomar as if the men flanking him were his own bodyguard and the lord of Faldara his equal rather than his captor. His tone became sleek and oily. There is a misunderstanding here, great lord. I am sometimes taken by spells, but that will pass soon. Yes, soon I will be rid of them. Contemptuously, he flicked his fingers against the rags he wore. Do not be misled by these, great lord. I have had to disguise myself against those who have tried to stop me. 
and my journey has been long and hard. But at last I have reached lands where men still know the dangers of Baalzaman, where men still fight the Dark One. Rand stared, goggling. It was Fane's voice, but the words did not sound like the peddler at all. So you've come here because we fight Trollocs, Agomar said. And you are so important that someone wants to stop you. These people say you are a peddler called Padon Fane, and that you are following them. Fane hesitated. He glanced at Moraine and hurriedly pulled his eyes away from the Aes Sedai. His gaze ran across the Emmonsfielders, then jerked back to Agomar. Rand felt the hate in that look, and the fear. When Fane spoke again, though, his voice was unruffled. Padan Fane is simply one of the many disguises I have been forced to wear over the years. Friends of the Dark pursue me, for I have learned how to defeat the Shadow. I can show you how to defeat him, great lord. We do as well as men can, Agomar said dryly. The wheel weaves as the wheel wills. But we have fought the Dark One almost since the big breaking of the world without peddlers to teach us how. Great Lord, your might is unquestioned. But can it stand against the Dark One forever? Do you not often find yourself pressed to hold? Forgive my temerity, great lord. He will crush you in the end, as you are. I know. Believe me, I do. But I can show you how to scour the shadow from the land, great lord. His tone became even more unctuous, though still haughty. If you but try what I advise, you will see, great lord. You will cleanse the land. You, great lord, can do it if you direct your might in the right direction. Avoid letting Tarvalin entangle you in its snares, and you can save the world. Great lord, you will be the man remembered through history for bringing final victory to the light. The guards held their places, but their hands shifted on the long shaft of the bills as if they thought they might have to use them. Whew. So, yeah. yeah, hard to do that because Agomar and Padan Fane have totally different voices. <laughs> that hurts my throat. <clears throat> so, we're learning some stuff about Fane that we didn't know before. Shocking, I'm sure. Yeah. So Fane has his bouts. He whines and he's commanding and then he whines and he's commanding and you know he's got his it's multiple like personalities or something <laughs> it's almost like he's unhinged um i'm going to point out something that is a bit tricky but his uh i don't want to spoil anything but his how do you say trying to think of the best way the best way to describe it but 
his multiple personalities have a reason. Um, I'm going to kind of point this out as a tuck away for later because it's, it's a very understanding way to look at it. Mm. But it's not going to be relevant for a while. So I don't want to spoil it or ruin anything for anybody. So just keep in mind, this is something that will be, hopefully, if I can remember <laughs> to mention it, um, or if somebody wants to bring it up about Put On Fane at a later point, um, that will be the best time to do it. So, um, but after this, you know, he's talking to Agamar basically. I can help you beat the bad guys. But you got to stay away from those evil people from Tarvalin. Um, but Agamar's like looking over at Lan is like, or not looking over at Lan, talking to Lan over his shoulder. He's like, he thinks a great deal of himself, but uh, Ingtar's probably correct in that he is mad. And then, you know, Fane's eyes tighten in an upset fashion. And, but he keeps a smooth voice and he's, you know, I, my words are a bit grandiose, but if you only, and he doesn't get to say any more because Moraine shows up and he steps back, but he, Moraine starts coming around the table and the guards lowered the bills, kept Fane from backing out of the room. But Moraine stops by Matt's chair and puts a hand on the shoulder and then whispers in his ear, whatever she says. The tension leaves his face, and he takes his hand away from the coat. The Aes Sedai then, you know, keeps moving closer until she shows up next to Agomar, right in front of Fane, and she comes to a halt. The peddler, you know, goes down and do a crouch again. So I'm thinking like a golem type thing. Like, <laughs> we hate it, precious! We hate it! <laughs> I think the time is cowering. Yeah. Um, and then I'll have you pick up this part, good sir. Oh, I can feel my voice starting to go, but here we are. <laughs> I hate him. He whimpered. I want to be free of him. I want to walk in the light again. His shoulders began to shake, and tears he streamed down his ear face even more heavily than before. He made me do it. I'm afraid he is more than a peddler, Lord Agamar. So do you, Moraine's. Sorry, Moraine said. Less than, less than human. Worse than vile, more dangerously than you can imagine. He can be bathed after I have you spoken with him. I dare not waste a minute. Come, Lan. So, we have this. I mean, this sounds pretty obvious. Do you, do you know what he's referring to? The dog one? Yes, but like, what is he referring to? Just everything. Well, I want to be free of him. I want to walk in the light again. What does that scream to you? He doesn't actually want to serve the Dark One. I know, but what do you call a person who serves the Dark One? Dark friend. There we go. <laughs> it's showing him as a dark friend from this line. Now, there are some other things... We'll get into detail in later chapters, but, well, not necessarily later chapters, at later point in date. Um, we're also pointing out a couple things. Now, I would like to point out, before referring to the last paragraph of the chapter, 
Um, when Moraine stops by Matt's chair, Matt's reaction is important. Tuck that away later, too. So, just FYI. You might not get to it until, like, the end of the series, but it is important. So, Moraine's reference is that he is more than a peddler, but less than he, or less than human and worse than vile and more dangerous than you can imagine. This insinuates that Padan Fane is a little bit more complicated than we might initially have thought as a peddler. So, that being the wrap-up for that, did you want to cover anything you thought were well-standout type stuff in the chapter before we wrap up? Uh, quickly, just to cover up with the chapter in my mind. Um, no, although I imagine either that either the uh, the whole incident incidents with the Trollocs will probably get a lot worse than it gets before it gets better. Outside of that, I don't have any uh, great predictions for the future. I uh. Crystal ball is currently in the wash anyway, so. I mean, it was ironically a pretty long chapter, um, all things considering. Yeah. And also, I really, uh, again, to state the obvious, just why is Patton Fane here? Why? How did he get it? Well, I guess you'll just have to read more to find out. <laughs> the cliche. The cliche saying that is so true. I'm really surprised to hear that. Like Matt wasn't like, "What are you doing?" It. Oh, they—they're all surprised. Yeah. Obviously, it covered that part pretty well. But yeah, yeah. Um, I have nothing more to offer. I know you never had anything to begin with. <laughs> yeah, no, right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, mostly, mostly yes. Uh, <laughs> by mostly, I mean partially. By partially, I mean hardly. <laughs> by hardly, I mean not at all. Just kidding. Um, Moving onwards. Anyway, for <laughs> insanity takes me. Wait, you were saying at one point. Um, yeah, I'm surprising. so surprised. It's surprising for me as well. <laughs> we're all surprised. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th I covered, I think, everything I wanted to really cover. So if you don't have anything specifically for that, um, I guess you're quick. This is a slightly different worded question. What are your thoughts? Like, I mean, you, you got you got put on Fane and you're like, what is he doing here kind of thing? But what about the rest of it? Like what's going on in Shinar, the Tarbin's Gap, the Blight, all that stuff. Do you have any anything on that stand out to you? Uh, well, like I previously said, eh, the whole Trolloc situation regarding uh, China, China, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And I don't know, it, it is interesting to sort of see like the like kind of history that like Lan has with it, like this area. Like how this kind of almost a legend about him. Mm -hmm. It makes him a more interesting character than most people would give him credit for. That's for sure. Well, you know, uh, it's it's a thing that like I always 
argue about that um sort of like kind of uh, brick wall characters like Lan where you know like they're very inscrutable there isn't like that much there isn't necessarily like that much character to them but Lan is infinitely more more interesting than like other versions of the character type that I've seen just because yeah. there are hints to it and also like you know he does actually have his moments where you know the the harsh stony exterior kind of slips and you can like see him sort of smile or you know make jabs or whatever or at least even if you don't physically see it you can tell he is like he's smiling on the inside yeah. kind of thing yeah i think i think that the conversation here that uh lan had with perrin after they got reunited and he they were talking about elias yeah. I think that was like in the most. Uh, it's a very open say, and honest man-to-man. Yeah, the kind mo- of thing. Yeah, the sort of like most open that Lan has actually been. In, it makes you wonder if he's ever that open yeah. with like Moraine or somebody. Yeah, well, the the relationship with that team Moraine and Lan has is very business-like, very professional, and also, I don't know that. So the I guess he like it would be interesting to see the interaction between another Isidai and their warder. You know, yeah, just to I see mean, like how how they do we'll, things we'll, versus. We'll like, get to that point at some point, so don't worry yeah. too much about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I do want to point out something that I completely forgot earlier to mention is that I did slightly mention. I think I said to tuck it away for later. But I don't remember if I did, so I want to just verify just to make sure I do, is that um, Nynaeve was really quiet at dinner, so tuck that away for later. Um, it will be it will make sense at some point. I just want to point that out there. <laughs> so, um, anything else you can think of, good sir? Uh, no, that's it. Although I was going to say... Uh, regarding the whole armor situation, I could have like gone into a massive spiel about um, sort of like uh, step armors, like uh, stuff that you would see like across um, like uh, Mongolian hordes and Huns or something. Or? Yeah, that that sort of stuff, and like um, also like the sort of uh, step clans here, which is sort of like branch up into Russia because it, it's a really big area and it's also really fun to see like the connection that you know, like all those cultures have to one another and you know, like how the tribal systems and whatnot that but then and also just see you know, like how um sort of you know, like themes and aesthetics and you know, like uh designs of armor can you know, sort of like interpose one another so you do sometimes get like a mixture of you know, like what we would consider to be like asian armors with european armors yeah, and I, w- I always like that. It's, it's always fun to see things. it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some strange things that are interesting to say the least. Um, I don't know. Again, we we sort of just see like into like the fantasy thing of uh, like it's it's this culture, but not really. But then you also got like other things that like where cultures are fused together, and you do get like very interesting interpretations of it, like how uh, things would work or like how like mixtures of designs would be which i was yeah. which i always enjoy i, when, I enjoy when it's the mixing right. but sometimes it does get confusing because what we yeah. usually know is world history more than what the mixture is and even though certain yeah. things are mixtures like 
you know, you got China and then you get Japan kind of like branched off of them. You got Taiwan's kind of branched off of them. Korea's kind of branched off of them. And they all have their own unique kind of cultures to it. But then you also have like Mongolia and I guess to some extent the Huns. I don't know if the Huns have any consistency anymore, any, though. Um, but in their type of tribalistic ways, they're, they're similar but not the same as their other counterparts but they're all kind of the same but they all have very different concepts about a lot of things especially like clothing armor society how if they have a caste system or whatever and it's it's there's a lot of interesting details involved that make it a little bit hard to just cut and dry it but when you start mixing like european armor with eastern culture and whatnot it does get a little confusing because what we know in real life is hard to put those together because they're so different but it is an interesting concept and i i want to know more about it and you know see what they would look yeah. like and whatnot or see what concept artists could come up with by reading these types of things that they were knowledgeable about these things and be like this is what this would look like and then be like boom wow that looks interesting <laughs> Kind of thing. Yeah. I, well, general thing. My favorite type. My favorite type of historical armor is uh, lamella armor, which is it is small, an interesting looking one. Yeah, small small plates of metal laced together to which it then they like overlap and it sort of I don't know, it sort of goes into like the whole sort of Gale male stuff. And there's a like... couple styles of of armor I like but I typically lean towards the more mobile styles as opposed to like full plate mail where you move so slow and you're so heavy and you get exhausted and whatnot. Like I'm kind of, I'm kind of like that because in most of the armor, well, again, we're going into like the whole sort of modern. Well, like padded armor is supposed to help you well, out no, no, against no, like, archery and whatnot, but if well, you do like chain well, mail with just... padded armor underneath it, you're protected against archery and slash attacks. Well, I was just going part. to say we're, we're sort of getting into like the modern modern thing of like categorizing everything because I say like, okay, I've got brigandine, okay, that's medium armor, except if I combine it with this, then does it make it heavy armor or like, oh, you know, I'm actually still really mobile in it, so does I make it light armor? It makes it medium. <laughs> It, it, it's a very modern sensibility then also like you know categorizing of swords and all that but not gonna bore yeah. people with it like we already have well, <laughs> you know, we usually go to a sides this wasn't a side that i brought about so it was your fault don't worry yes so blame <laughs> me and uh, throw your complaints at <laughs> no yeah do you want me to shill or do you want to shill or what okay i guess you can shill my voice is starting to go Oh, well, boo-hoo. It's not like I did all these voice acting voices or anything. Oh, uh, boo-hoo, actually, your voice is starting to hurt in this audio format thing that we're doing. I drink a lot of water, good sir. Anyway. Well, I'm out of water. I can't just get up Why and get water. Why would you do that? Why would you run out of water? Because I drank it! <laughs> I don't see what you don't understand here. Get a bigger cup. <laughs> anyway. Um, if you guys want to reach out to us and tell us how horrible we are, um, you can reach us at our Gmail, which is tales of a red arm at gmail.com. That is tales of a red arm at gmail.com. Um, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, tales of a, or at tales of a red arm is our handle and you can 
send us a direct message for specific things or whatever. If you want to just generally pop in and say hi or make a comment about one of the episodes or something, we'll be more than happy to, you know, respond. Although it'd probably be me since I run mostly this. Well, I, I run all the social media, <laughs> but, um, if you want to reach us on Facebook, you can reach us at our tales of a red arm, uh, page. And we now have a discord that is where I think majority of the, uh, information will probably take place at. Um, and we have a lot of exciting things that we want to eventually put into play, um, that we're planning for, but uh, it'll probably happen centralized around the discord. So if you don't have it or you don't know what it is, feel free to hit us up at any of our other means and we will uh, endeavor to explain it to you and get you set up or whatever. Um, on Twitter, there is a, uh, I believe there is a discord link and I believe there's one on Facebook as well. Um, you can also email us and I will send you the link and that way you can hop in and start the conversations with people and Hey, bring people with you if you want to. And, uh, we'll have a, we'll have a blast. That's my idea anyway. But, mm. um, if we can get going and, you know, get some other, not necessarily necessary things, but I have some plans that I would like to implement. And if we manage to garner enough support for them, then we can put them into action and have, you know, fun little contests and competitions and, even some just fun chatting sessions, but yeah. So you guys are aware of how to get a hold of us, and also if you could uh, spread spread the love for the podcast with people and say, "Hey, check out this cool podcast I've been listening to," or give us a one star if that's what you're thinking. Um, yes. uh, anybody who listens on Apple, we would appreciate a good review, um, but obviously be honest about it and that would help us just get seen more on there. I believe that's the only place out of all the podcast places that does that, but it will help at least some people who utilize Apple podcasts to find us. Um, but yeah, if you want to, you know, share everything for, or for us, because we don't know who, you know, and we try to share it as much as we can, but there's only so much we can do, but uh, we, we would definitely appreciate any assistance anyone gives us. So um, I think that wraps it up for the shilling aspect, unless you have something else. Good yeah. Uh, no, no, nothing yet. Don't have the Patreon just yet. Yeah, not quite yet. Um, if no, we get, if no we get a few more people, we do have t-shirts, just not available to be sold yet because we don't have a Patreon yet. But um, we do have some concept art and whatnot that we got to put together, but we do have some interesting uh, t-shirts and bookmarks and stuff like that. That'll be really funny to have or to wear and hopefully jumpstart conversations and make it uh, a little bit more lively in your life. If you're always worried about it, having it be a little too boring, but um, we'll get to those things as the community grows. And hopefully when the uh, TV series drops, um, we'll have some plans for that as well. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. I believe I that's it. Now. Yeah, I believe that's everything. So, um, we hope you guys will join us for chapter 47 and that'd be the next episode <laughs> and uh, hang out with us then and get to learn some more interesting stuff. Um, but until then, we'll see you guys around until then.
Dark was first to dance with Jack of the Shadows. 